choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others do. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. Yo, I'm back on the track with another sick verse. Occupy Wall Street with a thick purse. Intangible coins in my wallet till it bursts. Haters always clueless while I be staying Buddhist. I'm thumbing through the filings like my name was Balchunas. I'm the truest, never new to this game. Cause I'm fluent when I do this in the lab. I stack facts, but y'all truants. Y'all blew it, only chance will fall through it. Don't look too good cause I'm sick, but y'all fluish. I blew quick. So fast, I leave you with the blur And haters getting served by my homie Steve Kurz Yo, I roll with deep nerds and shadowy super coders It's over, dog. I'm pushing weight like bulldozers All these kittens everywhere While we be the goats And the new kid on the block is called BTCO Always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. Welcome back, 2024, a new year and a great episode. Eric Balchunas, senior ETF analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, is our guest, and he is joined by Steve Kerr's head of Galaxy Asset Management. And of course, we'll check in with our good friend, Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always. But before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. 10 years in the making, and we finally have spot-based Bitcoin ETFs trading on US exchanges. What a milestone. I promise you it is about to get weird out here in TradFi and crypto. This is an earth-shattering development, in my opinion, and things will never, ever look the same. Let's get right into it with Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, welcome to Galaxy Brains. Thanks for having me. Wow, 10 years in the making. Bitcoin ETFs approved, if you're listening to this, on Thursday, January 11th, they launch today at 9.30 a.m. for trading. Was it a sell the news event? I didn't, over my shoulder. I mean, we're recording what's Wednesday night. It's flat. <laughs> it's flat. Yeah, I would, I would just say there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding day one flows with respect to will inflows outpace outflows right. of, you know, of things like, you know, grayscale. Right. Um, there's $28 billion of grayscale that's been in, you know, probably on average at a much lower cost basis than, than here. Um, the discount is likely to close. I mean, it gapped, you know, higher, you know, at right. the close today. Right. And so the on question the approval. on the approval. And there's been a lot of folks, you know, waiting to, you know, take profit on on Bitcoin, waiting for the CTF news. And so, you know, I think it's possible that you go down, uh, but I think it's likely that you go up. And this is uh, an asset that's asymmetric to the upside in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, it's a risk profile. Yeah. And, you, you know, you can go to zero, but you could also go to like 200,000, right? Right. So, you know, you can at most lose 100%. Right. But and I don't think best, you could go to zero. No, I think we proved not. that. Like, we didn't yeah. go last year. And I, I, but if I you're thinking you. about Bitcoin as an asset that's floored at now, let's say, 30, 35K, and you're trading at 46, and you think that, you know, there's a positive supply catalyst coming with, with the happening, 
uh, turn and, and Fed policy, et cetera, right. you could be looking at an asset that could easily be worth 100K I think that's within, well within, within a year. And yeah. so if you're talking about an asset that's got a downside of 10,000 versus an upside of 54,000, that seems like, you know, good five to one risk reward yeah. trade right there. And it's now going to become in a form that's incredibly easy to access. So easy. And, you know, just for what it's worth, like, you know, we're, you're going to be able to get margin on it, you know, day one for, for the most part. Right. And so there's going to be a lot of, like, cheap money that's going to flow into crypto as a function of folks um, getting financing on a lot of these ETF products. And so there's a lot of cash coming in, a lot of new institutions that now have access to it, you know, millions and millions, tens of millions of retirement accounts and and you know, other investment vehicles that will now have cheap access to, to Bitcoin. And so I think the potential is uh, not infinite, but, <laughs> you know, do I th to the moon does come to mind. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, well, you heard the uh, intro rap. Uh, we had JFK, uh, former president, talking about going to the moon. There was a reason for that choice. In that vein, you know, it is not what Bitcoin can do for, for crypto, but it is what you can do for, for, for Bitcoin. I, don't know. I just tried to make something cool there. But I just do want to yeah. highlight the fact that alts are ripping higher on yeah. the back of this announcement. Right. We've had ETH, you know, trade up to, you know, I guess uh, 2,500 and change. Let's talk about ETH alts real quick. have outperformed I, a ton as I, well. I've been very critical of the ETH BTC rally we've seen over the last couple of days. Our, our mm. clients and counterparties will know that. Um, I've tweeted about it before as well. I'm of the belief that ETH BTC should go lower before it eventually maybe goes higher. You you do have ETH ETF uh, applications that have been filed. I think the earliest final approved deny date on their 19 B4s is in May. Um, the logic being from the perspective issuers that they also have CME futures. And mm -hmm. so futures like spot, you look at the grayscale ruling, right, that it should be a similar analysis ultimately from the from the SEC. But that's a long ways away. That's five months from now. Yeah, I just look at it from the positioning standpoint. Everybody's positioned in Bitcoin and not really that position for ETH upside. So there's a catch-up trade there's there, There's a catch-up trade, and it's also just like, you know, folks looking to take profit on, on Bitcoin, like what's the next available trade, right? Right. You know, you look at a cross that's down over 20% on the year. You're but like, I'm of a view that that, I, I agree with that, uh, and but I, I think going forward where we believe a lot of, allocation in Bitcoin will be through these ETF vehicles, that inter-crypto cyclicality should dampen, particularly before the ETH ETF launches, right? Because if we believe there's a lot of financial advisor allocation coming, yeah. which is the target audience for these ETFs, we've written yeah. a report, we, we believe that, I believe that, that's not sitting on, you know, Polo or a crypto exchange ready to go into the next, into ETH and then into alts, right? It's stuck in the ETFs. So the rotation trade, I think it, it can still happen now because the, there's, the money's not in the ETFs yet as we record this, certainly. Like this time, there's still that rotation. You can see it happening. I mean, yesterday when the fake or compromised tweet came out from the SEC, there was a rotation into ETH overnight. Like yeah. there was a notable one. But that should dampen over time, in my opinion, because financial advisors are longer term allocators and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it's been part know, of my thesis I, I, on, I on ETH that, BTC. You know, ETH is going to be a healthy part of any crypto right. portfolio, whether it's a, a 5% allocation, a 10% allocation in crypto, 
uh, or, or higher, or, or higher, or, or higher. Right. And so, you know, as more and more people get exposed to the idea that I need crypto in my portfolio, I need crypto in my portfolio because it's a, a risk diversifier and a performance enhancer. Uh, it's tough to ignore ETH, yeah. especially once you get an ETF. If and it's meaningfully an different from, from Bitcoin, so it's reasonable. And yeah. so it's just like higher beta, lower market cap. And so I, I definitely, mm -hmm. I, I see it both ways. Fundamentally, like I agree with the macro thesis behind Bitcoin more, you know, and so I, I would obviously like to see Bitcoin outperform, but I think it's one of those things you just got to own both. Yeah. And in terms of alt exposure as well, Right. Like, I think there's just going to be so many new institutions that are interacting with crypto that are going to understand it better. And the education that goes on after, like, I think this is really like a, a seminal moment for yeah, Bitcoin, the crossing is. of the Rubicon, however you want to think about it. But from this point forward, the world will be different. Yeah, it will be different. Before we break, um, CPI is tomorrow and Thursday again, January 11th. W what are you thinking about? What are you expecting for CPI? Yeah, it, you know, I want to see it does matter yeah. because there's a lot baked into markets in terms of interest rate cut expectations that are priced out to this yeah. year. And so I think the risks to the number are, you know, asymmetric in the sense that if it comes in higher than expected, that you know some of this market pricing might fade you think in it terms of goes later the cuts go later in the year or like correct. less or magnitude less both? magnitude but you know yeah. both yeah and and it's tough to price in more cuts um in in my opinion therefore like a, a softer cpi print is not really going to do too much for markets um but high level what i'm looking at is like owner's equivalent rent we've been expecting it to come down meaningfully um, you know, over the next handful of months as a function of more supply of apartments hitting the market as a function of vacancy rates also ticking up. Um, and just as, you know, like the real-time indicators for rents have been ticking down uh, versus the owner's equivalent rent metric has been a little bit stickier because of kind of how, how they calculate the numbers. So expecting a little bit more catch-up there. And then in, in things like used autos, you know, I'm thinking there's going to be some, some weakness, airline fares and, you know, things alike you know, should see some declines. Um, but in terms of what I'm focused on in inflation, in terms of stuff that might alter people's views, um, is this freight issue right now with, you know, all the conflicts we're having in, in the Red Sea and yep. how much, um, you know, in terms of freight supplies not getting delivered. That's among the biggest time. risks for inflation, right, that is, is, is the geopolitical supply Absolute. chain stuff. So, Supply chain stuff yeah. is huge. And then oil is trading really well, $73 a barrel on WTI crude, you know, you've, gas prices have come off a lot off the highs. Um, and so that's been a positive, you know, sort of development. Uh, but again, like what I'm more worried about is stock market's almost at the dead highs. Crypto's back to the dead highs. Property values with interest rates going down, mm -hmm. like are still relatively firm. And so I think the market is still under appreciating the risk of, of reinflation. But all of the indicators we're looking at in terms of manufacturing, sentiment surveys, um, employment data, like they're all pointing towards a slowdown in the economy yep. and a slowdown in headline inflation and a slowdown in core PCE, the Fed's preferred measure. And so that's kind of why you're seeing all of these interest rate cuts priced in, in addition to the Fed taking a more dovish stance and a more precautionary stance. And so um, there are things that can counter that view and a high CPI print is one of them. Yep. And so that's kind of 
what I'm focused on is a risk to the market. More risk on a high print than a Correct. And then print. the other sort of big development this week was the, the back and forth we've had on the Fed's balance sheet. So right now they're running off the Fed's balance sheet. Right. right. But you're kind of getting to the point where you might want to consider stopping. In addition, it doesn't make sense to be tightening policy with the balance sheet and easing policy on interest rates. And negating yourself, so, right? Uh, correct. unified front. Correct. And so Lori Logan, who's the head of the Dallas Fed, who used to be a member of the New York Fed, which knows all the plumbing, came out this on Friday being like, oh, it might be time to stop this, this quantitative tightening or taper it. And then Williams today um, was like, you know, it might still be appropriate to engage in. So there's a little bit of a back and forth. Um, and then the, we just still have to deal with this ongoing fiscal, like, over-exuberance. I mean, the government spends just so All much All right, we're going to get to the government. Let's save oh, it for another man. one. It's a – Bimnet, uh, thank you so much. It's a it's an exciting time in this I'm market. I'm so excited, guys. Truly an amazing – Let's we're, go. We're excited. Um, well, that's it. Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Let's go now to our guest, Eric Balchunas, Senior ETF Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Eric, thank you so much for coming on Galaxy Brains. Uh, great to be with you, Alex. So I, I was joking with Eric. Eric's going to get his own rap. But actually, if you're listening to this episode now, you already heard it. You, go, you play the guitar, right? I do. I'm a, I, I play like a decent rhythm guitar. I suck at singing. My wife, she almost bans it. But I'm allowed to play guitar. I'm pretty good. <laughs> I played a lot more like back in the day, but I still pick it up now and then. Um, I have an electric and acoustic. Um, and it's fun. It's just like uh, I like playing like obscure indie rock songs. So sometimes I'll, just, I'll still hear a song and I'm like, you know what? I get to play that. And I'll just... Uh, send a, uh, a Siri message to myself and I'll download the tablature and just jam it out and it's a good time. We're going to next time I'm up at Bloomberg HQ, we'll get James, we'll get uh, we'll get Shanali Basic in there and, and Matt and all the team. We'll do some kind of collab. Sure. <laughs> Dude, will they let me bring the guitar through security in that building? I don't know. They're going to be surprised. They're going to worry like it's the movie Desperado or something. Well, back when Charlie Rose was here, I think they were liberal with that. We musicians coming in regularly. Um, but I don't know these days, well, uh, you, you might have to check that at the door or at least scan <laughs> yeah. it or something. So obviously for our audience, Eric has been covering, uh, the Bitcoin ETF race, the coin tucky derby, you've called it among other, uh, you and other folks. Um, it really has shaped up to be like that. These things are launching. They're launching now. Finally, it's been 10 years since the Winklevosses filed their first application for one. Is that a big milestone in your mind? Yeah. I mean, this was a, uh, the, the first ETF ever, SPY, which when I wrote a, my first book on ETFs, I was writing about how SPY took four and a half years between the concept and the SEC approval. This is literally double that plus an, ex an extra year for good measure. So nothing has been like this. And SPY was the first of its kind. This is obviously a traditional 33-act ETF, but the asset class is the issue. And this has been a really tough road um, I thought they should approve them right from the get-go. I'm a big fan of ETFs. I think they give the investors the fairest shake. They put a lot of great market makers to work on the investor behalf. They've worked in other asset classes, bonds, you know, even junk bonds, they work well. So um, I, I, I know this will work fine. Um, they've worked in Canada. They've worked in other countries. They've been around for seven years uh, in other countries. So uh, this was all should have happened a long time ago. So I've been pretty rah-rah yeah. about it. But when it comes to like our covering it this year, we just want to be right. And uh, there was a couple milestones along the way where, we're, where we kept upping our odds and we saw really good signs. And um, it's nice to be vindicated. We put our uh, necks out a little bit earlier on. Now, uh, I was like, we were 90% um, odds before it was cool. Yeah, you were. <laughs> when it was a little harder. Yep. Yeah. 
then it sort of seemed obvious. We got coverage from other mainstream media who got their own sourcing and basically found the same thing. So it's great. It's a relief. It's been a fun ride and uh, looking forward to see the actual derby itself now play out. Yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, you've got, I think in um, in James uh, Seyfart's uh, grid, he's got 11 issuers, if I count them correctly. And gosh, that's a lot <laughs> for day one. Before we get into the the some differentiation between them, and there certainly has been, we've t- we'll talk about the fee war that's occurred even before they launch. Without saying who or anything, you know, 11 can't possibly exist uh, with, with, you know, re- notable AUM. Let's fast forward a year, maybe one year from today. I'm not going to set a threshold, but how many you think have like notable AUM a year from now? Okay, so I kind of divide ETFs into three categories: studs, the middle class, and like uh, borderline cl- cl- uh, liquidation. So I think we'll have one giant stud, then a sizable stud, and then a big thick middle class. So middle class would be 100 million to a billion. You might have three studs, but you know, I, I, the only one can be a liquidity stud though. And that's the Holy grail. Cause if you get that liquidity around, you become the GLD of the Bitcoin ETFs, liquidity begets liquidity. And that is when the big fish bite and use you like the institutional investors. Um, that's what everybody's aiming for. That said, a lot of people will get theirs. Uh, a lot of people will make a profit. Um, but there'll be one or two uh, sad cases that just can't get going and probably have to close. Uh, this is just the way the ETF market works. Now, how much room is there? Depends. Like, there's a hundred tech ETFs, uh, and tech is just one sector, right? So, if this area can get enough assets, certainly there's room for eleven. Uh, depends how quick the asset gathering can get going. But I find that a lot of these firms have like their own audiences. So, if they can like at least secure their own audience and clients to use their own funds, that should give them life for a while. But I've seen cases where an ETF hangs around for four or five years before it actually starts getting going. So I think these issuers um, should really just relax, look at the long game. But in the early week or two, it will be crucial to find out where the volume is going. And, and that will probably form within a couple of weeks. But that doesn't mean everybody else is dead. There is the fee war. And I know fees. I mean, maybe you talked about liquidity before we get into the specific war. What are the factors in your mind if you're buying an ETF that you really care about, right? You mentioned liquidity. Clearly, that's one. Yeah, it depends what your goal is. Like if you're trading it like an institution, getting quick exposure, or if it's like a portfolio completion, if you're doing serious business, you're a serious investor, liquidity is big. I got to be honest. For advisors who are going long term, um, they like things like uh, they do like fees. They like brands. They're loyal to brands. They like bigger brands traditionally. Uh, but of course, the exposure matters, but these are all sort of the same. So they will look to fee brand. They'll look at like how well it tracks uh, to a degree. They'll look if there's any tax considerations, although, again, a lot of uh, everybody is on the same playing level playing field with that, too. Um, and so that's sort of what it'll come down to. And I think marketing in this case, I think if you you could probably break through if you're, you know, you can actually market your way, I think, to some assets if you can capture their imagination. And uh, there's a couple of ways to do that. And some things will work, some things won't. But I would say that's what matters to advisors. The longer you go in for, the more fee should probably matter because obviously that's an annual fee. The the shorter you're going in, the more spread should matter. Hence the liquidity, the liquid ones being used by the more short-term, bigger investors. But I imagine the spreads on the biggest four or five of them should be one or two basis points, 
which is beautiful because compare that to the Coinbase Commission. Uh, then you get down to the other ones. They'll be a little wider, but if you call the market maker, you could probably get a tighter spread. But they, they will probably show on the screen a little wider. But the, the volume ones will show one to two basis points, which, again, is, is beautiful. So do you guys have any estimate? I mean, I know I we published one. Uh, I saw Standard Chartered with their extremely bullish estimate, I thought, much higher than where we landed. What's your estimate um, on flows, I don't know, over whatever time period you've made it, on inflows? We'll call it net inflows. You don't have to do, like, total AUM. I, obviously, for this analysis, Grayscale's existing AUM kind of, like, you know, complicates the number. But if we just say, like, net new uh, into the into the ETF complex, what, what do you have for an estimate? Yeah, it, people mi mix up flows and assets all the time. Flows are, are hard. They're actually new dollars. So if we focus on flows, we're looking at maybe 15 billion in the first year. We'll call it by the end of this year because it's a year anyway. We're at the beginning of the year. So by the end of this year, I, I could see 15 billion-ish in flows. But that puts us at 50 billion-ish at assets. 45 billion, because if you have Grayscale converting at 30, maybe they lose a little, but then BlackRock and C Capital comes in. I can see 40, 40 to 50 by the end of the year in assets. Then if the price of Bitcoin goes up, that, that my number would be revised up. If the price of Bitcoin goes down, I'd revise down because the price of the underlying in, in impacts the asset figure. So I really think flows, if we're going to analyze like who's winning and losing, who's getting the hard work of getting new clients in there, that's the key number to watch. Flows and volume. Uh, so those would be my estimates. Go, if we want to go out to four or five years, I could see you know that flow number increasing to like 40, 50 to get us to about 100 billion of a category. That's where gold is. And that would be about 1% of ETF assets. So while 100 billion, it depends on where you're coming from. From a Bitcoiner, that's a ton of money. The ETF roll, only 1%. But for a new asset class to get 1% to one, to of assets that quickly is really big feed. So it's all relative, of course, but still, at the end of the day, these advisors who these are aimed at, they, they really love their 60-40. They're not going to like sell all that and like go orange fill full. In my opinion, this will be like a hot sauce bucket application uh, where, you know, oh, I got a little ARC, I got a thematic ETF, got this uh, real estate venture, just some stuff that you speculate with that spices up the otherwise boring low-cost 60-40 that they really just are told and all the evidence is you have to just wait 20 years before the compounding kicks in where you get the magic of, of compounding returns. So a lot of people love that, but they're a little bored. I think crypto is going to satisfy this sort of excitement factor, uh, ROE, return entertainment, and cure a little FOMO. So I see it as a hot sauce bucket allocation, rather, in, for the advisor. But again, they have $30 trillion, So if they all did 1%, that's $300 billion. But I, I don't, again, I'm I'm looking more at maybe... A third of those people do 1%. Yep, I, that makes a lot of sense. I love your ROE, return on entertainment. I think it makes sense a lot. It matters. You manage a lot, yeah, and if you manage a lot of um, you know, end client advised portfolios and you're mostly in um, some model portfolio type allocations to distinguish yourself, you know, say like, look, I mean, you're going to, yeah, you're going to be, you're actually going to be, you know, 45, uh, 55 instead of 60, 40 or, or sorry, you know, 35, uh, 55. And we're going to, with that other 10%, you know, we'll, one of our guys on our advisor team, they've, they've got a real estate background. we got a former venture guy. We're going to do a little bit more interesting stuff. And by the way, we're going to stick some Bitcoin in there too, because the returns historically have been, you know, really beneficial. I, I think that's actually quite a, uh, compelling, especially just to distinguish yourself if you're an advisor among the, you know, the others. 
you know, everyone's asking the short-term thing, you know, like in the first week or so. Let's say week. We're not going to say day. I mean, you know, it's the end of the week already. But let's say in the first week, we're probably not getting tons of advisor flows in the first week. I would assume it's mostly high net worth or retail in general, right? I'm assuming these ETFs are are going to show up on all the major brokerage platforms for for traditional, you know, the Fidelities and Schwabs and E-Trades and whatever. They'll be there. But to get on the advisor platforms will take probably a little bit longer, I, I would assume. Yeah. Bitto had what, like a billion in like the first couple days? Um, the, yeah. Bitto, the, uh, the cash settle future. I mean, what, is there a number that would either tell you in the first week, I'm going to give you a little bit of an out here, in the first, you know, short time period that it's a smash hit? Or a big failure? Like, is there a threshold there in your mind where you're like, holy crap, in either direction? Yeah. This is where it gets complicated. There's two types of flows. There's organic and BYOA. BYOA flows are bring your own assets. That's when somebody lines up somebody. So BlackRock has done this BYOA move a lot where they'll line up uh, a billion or two. And instead of coming, instead of launching with that seed already in, they actually wait till the first day and have it come in. So it registers as flows and volume. So if you look at the top most successful ETFs of day one, BlackRock's like six out of the top 10, including the two of the top three, a lot of their ESG funds they did this with. And I don't count that as organic. So it matters. They still make the list. But then I go down and look, what's the most popular organic? So LQD was a big organic hit. That's the first bond ETF. And Bitto was a big organic hit at, I think, 500 million inflows the first day and a billion in two days, which broke GLD's all-time record of three days organic. So what I would do on day one is I think that BlackRock will break the all-time record. If I'm hearing the rumors correctly, they've lined up about $2 billion. That's what I heard. I will see. That would be automatically make them the number one. But the question is how much outside of the BlackRock seed is grassroots interest? James and I have done this so long that we, it's an art, there's an art to it. We'll be able to suss out what's grassroots versus BYOA, and we'll report those numbers. I would like to see 500 million in the first day or two, or maybe three days of organic to be like, this is a smash hit. Over 100 million respectable, under 100 million grassroots, little floppish. Got it. Yeah, that's that's good to know. I Yeah, I'm not asking for any hard prediction, but I like to know what sort of those ranges, under 100 million in your eyebrows are raising and and the story doesn't look positive to you basically. But Keep in mind though, if, if you launched um, a thematic ETF today, I would say you'd be a success if you got a hundred million a year and I'd be a success if you got a million dollars in a day, a million. So I'm raising the bar way above normalcy here because yeah. of the hype. So that, that said, yeah. yeah, that said, you have to factor the hype in here. So a hundred million amongst the group would, would be solid if it was anything else, but because of the hype, I'm, I'm, I'm using a higher standard, but I'm also not going to use Bitto because I think Bitto launched right into a, a mania of October 2021, where everybody's friends and families were asking about this. That is kind of over. We're, we're more in like a new phase of this. And I don't find there's a frothing at the mouth retail FOMO mania going on. So I don't see a lot of Bitto grassroots. I, I think Bitto will hold its record. Now, if we take the whole group of them, maybe they'll come close to Bitto. I, I don't know. That, that'll be interesting. Yeah, there weren't, there weren't, uh, I think Bitto launched by itself, or maybe there's one other. Within a couple of days, there were some follows, I recall. Yeah, I think yeah, it had so a exactly week head start so. on Valkyrie, which, by the way, exactly so. to this day, yeah. it still has 95% of all the volume. That's what the SC was trying to not do here. Right. Now you're dividing it among 11 or, or 8 yeah. or however many launch 
So that's going to die, you know, d- spread it out a bit. This has been fat. I got to ask you, Eric, um, on, on Tuesday, there was a tweet from the Securities and Exchange Commission account that said they had approved um, all, they'd approved Bitcoin ETFs to list on, quote, all national securities exchanges. Uh, and they had a graphic with a quote from uh, supposedly, of course, for a quote from Chair Gary Gensler and his picture. Um, the market assumed this was approval, but of course, then the chair came and replied or tweeted that the SEC's account on on X had been hacked, or I should say, had been compromised. Um, it this caused wild volatility in Bitcoin price. I mean, Bitcoin was up in the 48s, then it was down in the low 45s. I don't know. What was your reaction to that? Has anything ever happened like that at the SEC? I mean, I've never seen anything like that happen. No at the government level. No, I was shocked. Um, I, I thought. My thought was that they were just like, hey, let's be cool and give everybody uh, like it's almost like giving your your kids a Christmas present on, on Christmas Eve. Right. Um, Do it a little I, early. Yeah. I thought that was a nice gesture. <laughs> um, let's all party. And then we, the formality will be just like like documents rather than waiting for like the official document. I thought that uh, that was cool. But I also thought it's weird they did it because I was expecting everything to, to be announced for at the exact same time the next day. That's what I'd heard. So that's why I thought when they said it was it was compromised that I don't know maybe they're just embarrassed and it was a scheduled tweet or in the drafts folder and the hacker just tweeted it out because the way they wrote about it and the graphics they used was very very close to SEC speak um, it, it and if you were going to hack it for like max impact like a Bond villain you would do rejection right that would be like Bond villain or Joker level like mass chaos right. like. Doing an approval is child's play in terms of what's your goal here to have fun and like wreck everything. So there's a lot of questions here. I I still think the SEC had the tweet planned or something. Like I think it might have been written by them somehow, but pushed out early. That, that that's my hunch here. Uh, I guess we'll find out as it plays out. But yeah, there's going to be some investigations. They uh, the senators Vance and Tillis and are calling for an investigation. They wrote a they wrote a pretty direct letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission demanding an explanation. Um, the SEC, I think, has said they'll work with law enforcement to figure it out. I'm of the view that it is a pro Bitcoin external hacker because they, um, yeah, it was close. It was close to looking like an SEC thing, but it wasn't exactly. And then when you actually really start to interrogate the language, I think it's a little strange. They wouldn't say on all national registered securities exchanges. It doesn't really. Um, and then they actually they had another tweet. Did you see that? They, they tweeted BTC dollar sign and deleted it. And there were some yeah. likes on the that SEC's was, account yes. too. That's where I thought, okay, well, somebody hacked them. But then maybe they found the draft folder. It's like a chaotic Bitcoin hacker who's pro-Bitcoin. That's why they didn't do the the rejection because yeah. in the end, I think the hackers for Bitcoin, so they didn't want to crash it. I'm making this all up. It's total speculation. E- either way, I mean, the SEC, this is a bad look. This has nothing to do with what's going on they've done i thought the sc's done a great job getting these documents in order the, the poor staff yeah. has done work tirelessly for like three weeks through the holidays and like this kind of like stains all their work because i look at the amendments this is boring legal technical crap man and like painstaking they've got to print these 150 page documents out probably get a, a highlighter this 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 i mean I, i've edited two books that i myself that i've written it's painful. I got to do five, six drafts. You got to print it out. It sucks. That's the worst part of writing a book is, is printing it out, editing it, putting the edits in. So I don't know. I, I want to give the staff and everybody else credit. And this shouldn't overshadow it. This is something to do with uh, 
some kind of goof. And it is kind of hypocritical because if, if you're the SEC and especially that they were concerned about fraud and manipulation, I've been going, well, what about your own, your own house is a little bit of a mess there. But hopefully we can just laugh at it like the coin telegraph intern at some point. Yeah, hopefully. I, I think we, we've gotten through it. Um, and you're right. There's some irony because the um, SEC had advanced a cyber rule, they call it, on cybersecurity. And Congress is apparently considering using the Congressional Review Act to nullify it uh, separate from this. So, um, hey, it's been an exciting time. Uh, I know my audience almost certainly follows Eric already, but check him out on Twitter. Uh, he and his colleague James Safart have covered this commendably. It's not just the SEC that maybe you don't have to edit them, uh, Eric, but you guys are uh, you're all over that Edgar database for us in the industry. I really appreciate your work. And, dude, thank you for coming on Galaxy Brains. Next time we got to jam out. I'll ruin my acoustic guitar. You can do the heavy lifting and the singing. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it was great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, exciting times. Awesome. Eric Balchunas, senior ETF analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Thanks for coming on Galaxy Brains. Let's go now to our guest, Steve Kurtz, head of Galaxy Asset Management. Steve, welcome back to Galaxy Brains. It's awesome to be here. What a day. It is a day. And holy, <laughs> I mean, I can't believe it. It's been 10 years and we finally have Bitcoin, oh, spot man. Bitcoin ETFs approved and trading in the U.S. today. On Thursday, it it feels like you've you've run more than a marathon. You've probably done like an Ironman triathlon <laughs> marathon all put together, and now you're at the starting line. Yeah, now and, and we <laughs> only just get to start. Now right. you get to start. Now the battle begins. The privilege to start and compete with <laughs> all the biggest asset managers in the world has has now been it, afforded to us. It's really amazing, and I mean the Bloomberg guys have been calling it the Coin Tucky Derby with all the horses at the starting gate. Oh yeah, finally at the starting gate, right? It's it's apt. It's going to be really exciting. Now, obviously, Steve, you run Galaxy's asset management business. I think. What was the latest number that we published publicly on AUM? Yes, yeah, so we're five, uh, five, three billion AUM business as of uh, November 30th. And a lot year. of that um, is the huge deal that you guys landed managing the FTX estate. So that was a big win. Yeah, look, I, th I think last year was about, if 2022 was sort of cataclysmically bad, yeah. 2023 was digestion and cleaning up the mess. And so part of our mission at Galaxy, we're institutional, we're, we're supposed to clean up the mess. 2024 is not about cleaning up the mess. 2024 is about... Uh, the ETF, yeah. you know, moving forward. And, and maybe and, others. Yeah. I saw that Galaxy, Invesco, Invesco Galaxy, but also BlackRock. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought Fidelity, although I couldn't find it earlier, ARC have filed for ETH spot ETFs. The ETH, yeah, um, it's going to be it's going to be a crypto Twitter meme if it's not already <laughs> so for those, sure. Yeah, we're, we're looking I, I was at looking to the those 19 before final approval dates start to roll out in May. So yes. after, uh, now that the Bitcoin, <laughs> now we'll get back to Bitcoin, but it just, that's also on the horizon. Well, no, I, look, I think, I think there's a, a roadmap, right? And how do you become an institutional crypto asset? And you, you start with regulated futures in the U.S. Then there's the OSC approval of an ETF in Canada. Then there's the futures ETF in the U.S. And then there's a spot ETF. So we can't, we can't predict what the SEC is going to do ever. Uh, uh, and certainly not in the ETH case, but there's a real parallel. Three of those right. four have been hit by ETH. Four of those four are now hit with Bitcoin. You know, future future assets need to look at that roadmap. It is like you see CME roll out futures on a new crypto asset, and you're like, oh, wow. That's, when's ETF? Yeah, when's the ETF? <laughs> it could yeah. be years later, but yeah. that starts the clock sort of. Yeah. Let's stick with Bitcoin, Steve. Yeah. Um, Galaxy's partnered with Invesco. We also, Galaxy, have exchange-traded products in other countries, yep. all with partnerships, um, yep. is that, that's clearly part of your strategy. I think that, you know, you, you see a lot with 11 issuers. There's no precedent for that in the ETF race. And when you look at the crypto native uh, guys, you know, bless them. I hope they do great. We, we love our, our, our peers and competitors in that space. We took the view many years ago that you need both things. You need the, you need the sausage making yeah. of the issuers. You need the regulatory and legal prowess, and you need the distribution. And so when we came together with Invesco, uh, we thought 
there couldn't be a better partnership. They believe in crypto. They believe in blockchain technology. They've innovated. They created the QQQs that are $200 billion just in that suite of ETFs. And they, they wanted a partner that could plug in. And so Galaxy Asset Management philosophically was aligned. It's a long-term thing. It's not just about Bitcoin. Uh, and they're the second biggest issuer in this race. I think that gets missed in the overall picture. And you plug that in with what we're doing. And I think we have something different. Yeah, uh, BlackRock is the largest ETF issuer by AUM, but then Invesco with is number four. Yeah, uh, and then Wisdom Tree Van Eck are nine and ten, Fidelity thirteen, and then Arc twenty four and Franklin Templeton twenty five. That's right. So yeah, I mean Invesco is number four worldwide, yeah. over four hundred and fifty billion. It looks like just and, from some data I pulled. Yeah, when if if you care about Bitcoin, which which I do and which we do, uh, you know, you, you want to have these sales forces educated about Bitcoin and then educating about Bitcoin. And so that that's the big unlock, right? If you look through all this, it's you have all of these people that are out there that, you know, we've now spent the last year, really three years, we've been on file since 2021 with Invesco. Um, their team's awesome. We've yeah. been teaching their sales force, getting their marketing teams up to speed. It's, it's been great. That's actually. what's so interesting. Like, I mean, I've done some of that work with you guys. I've done, we've done some yeah. videos. You can see those videos on, <laughs> I've had some videos. Uh, you're in some videos. Yeah, you, you clean up nicely. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing, what I really started to realize was how important, like, I mean, I've been educating people yeah. about Bitcoin for years, but how important this yeah. time is because now we're helping educate the people who will do the educating. Yes. Right. So significant yes. scale, right? If we get something, yeah. I was telling this to my team as we're working on some of these educational materials, yeah. like both for Invesco, but also for DWS, where right. we're working with in Europe. Yeah. Like, dude, it matters. We need to get this right because it's going to get, we're, we're putting this in a thousand people's hands and then they're going to put it in a hundred thousand people's hands. There's a real responsibility to it. Yeah. And, and it hasn't been done well before. And there's been no reason for it to be done at this scale before. So education at scale has never happened in Bitcoin. It right. has happened on a grassroots bottom-up basis, and that's been an awesome right. process, and that's how hundreds of millions of people have come to Bitcoin. The next group needs something like this for that to really happen. What I'm excited about is then the second-order effect of that. Once everyone understands that Bitcoin isn't what the headlines say it is, then what happens and what does that unlock in terms of the understanding of Bitcoin and why Bitcoin matters? It, That's pretty cool. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. So, okay, so let's get into the ETF a little yeah, bit. So they start trading today. Yep. At, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's actually, I'm still having like, a, it's not deja, I don't know what it is. It's like a physical sensation though for how long we've been waiting for this. There are 11, I believe, applicants. I think maybe 10. I, I think hashtags actually might not yeah. be in this round. They're, they're, yeah. And theirs is different. They're adding spot to an existing yeah. product. I don't know. I asked this uh, for Eric Balchunas, who yeah. is on this episode too. What's like in your mind? Like, uh, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction in inflows, <laughs> but let, but and again, think of the whole complex, not any yeah. specific one. But is there a number that's like, holy crap, this is a blowout, smash <laughs> win? And is there a number yeah. that's like, oh crap, it's a flop in your mind? Like, what, like you know, yeah. L l maybe I'll work backwards. Like in any context in asset management, but also in ETFs, I think that AUM is is an output, not an input. And so what you can control what you can control, and that's about the process. And so uh, I, I do think it's a mistake to say all these ETFs are the same. And, and I'll get to the question of AUM in a mm -hmm. second. But I think what you need to generate real AUM, and let's, let's call real AUM tens of billions, not a billion or two billion. Mm -hmm. So the way to get to tens of billions of AUM is you need a liquidity environment. You need great execution that tracks the product well. You need great service providers. You need low fees. You need marketing. You need sales. And you probably need a little bit of luck, some seed money, that yeah. kind of thing. So you need six or seven things to go well over time. So, so my, my question to, you know, any issuer is, you know, when you look across that, you'll have guys that are good at four of those or two of those or one of those. The Invesco Galaxy piece covers that entire swath. I think what's going to set us apart and I think what's underappreciated now is really how cash create works. 
what it means as a model, and then how do you source Bitcoin and how do you create an efficient product? Because AUM is going to follow liquidity. We've seen that in Canada where we have funds. We've seen that in other ETF examples historically. No one's talking about liquidity. Everyone's Thunderdome fees, and, and yeah. I get it. It's the right. hype and seed and, and, and day one money. If there's liquidity and if there's all these other things, that's when it goes from, hey, it's on Morgan Stanley's platform to now it's in the model portfolio. Now the average FA can say, hey, it's it's a percent allocation, and and every client that, that talks to that FA is going to do that because yep. that's that's what they're paid to do, right? Yep. So I, I think I think how quickly we get to the the end investors on this stuff with a real recommendation for how to put Bitcoin in a portfolio, it's probably not the first day, yeah. but it's not going to take two years. It's not. These 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 remember these platforms in 2021 they put private Bitcoin funds on many of them put private Bitcoins on their funds uh, on on their platforms mm -hmm. excuse me and um, all of them learned about Bitcoin at the FA level at the home yeah. office level and then the underlying clients got some degree of information about Bitcoin webinars documents kind of stuff. research it didn't yeah. finish the job because there was friction to that private fund right. but it it started the path and so when you go to these platforms a year ago or six months ago or three months ago you're not starting at zero. And once there's the ETF, the chicken and egg of the regulatories, why they can't be on platform, but actually the unlock for that chicken and egg is the fact that this happened. Mm -hmm. That'll take a couple months and then there'll click, there'll be a click moment with those guys and then it'll really be open season. Yep. And so I think the real game begins three, six months from now. What'll also happen three, six months from now is you can look at data. We're the best tracking ETF uh, in Canada uh, by far. We've managed really tight tracking error to our private funds historically. That's the kind of thing you talk about five bips of fees or 10 bips of fees difference. How about percentage differences yeah. in the tracking error to Bitcoin uh, to the fund? So how you access Bitcoin and how you run the products relative to a pretty volatile asset, that's going to become the real story, I think, when you talk to institutional wealth and allocators and that kind of thing. So let me ask you then, we'll call it end of year, since you're looking yeah. more on a couple month time frame yeah. for the for the churn, the, the growth to really start yeah. to happen. Um, we put out a report. We yeah. said 14 billion. Yeah. This is conservative, by the way. And we only looked at the FA market. Right? Yeah. Um, 14 billion inflows by year in, in year one is a conservative estimate. I'll is, take the it, over on that. Yeah, take I, I'll take the over for for the following reason. I, I think I think the, the TAM analysis you guys did, 48 trillion dollar market in the well side, is uh, it's it's right. It's appropriate. The other big markets that haven't really been unlocked for Bitcoin are the traditional hedge fund market. And then also the allocator market, so asset owners, pensions, uh, you mm -hmm. know, corporate pensions, uh, endowments, foundations, et cetera. The hedge fund market is going to surprise people. There are many hedge funds that have done work. We talk to them all the time at, at uh, Galaxy Digital Trading. Uh, maybe the PM wants to buy Bitcoin. The COO or the compliance uh, officer is is not is not there yet. Right. This ETF is going to totally change the game. You can post the shares as margin. Uh, the best products are going to have options listed on them. So there's going to be a whole liquidity ecosystem that develops just around this. You can short other crypto listed products to fund these trades. And so the way that capital finds its way to these ETFs is going to be far greater than people expect because they're just is no friction between those products and that ecosystem. Yeah. So I think that plus the wealth, plus the the international pockets are also not talked about, right? Invesco has a, an, an Asia team, right? Uh, right. They have a Europe team and, and they find their way yeah. into and the US And that's the interesting product. thing, like um, the, the US being like a premier capital market or the yeah. premier capital market, right? Americans can't buy the Canadian listed ETFs and that's partly for that's regulatory right. reasons in the US. Yes. Because they're not approved, the, the SEC doesn't want that because they haven't yeah. approved them here. But also Canada is a weird capital market. They don't actually use like, they use non-standard settlement and stuff, right? There's a, because I can buy, I, I used to get really annoyed by this. Like I said, well, I can go on my Fidelity account. I can literally buy, I have the international stock trading agreement signed yeah. there. I can literally buy like Azerbaijani listed stocks, but I can't <laughs> buy Canadian ones. 
But the reverse is mostly not true. Most of the world can access U.S. capital markets. That's that right? that's, that's exactly right. There there uh, there are European uh, investors. There are uh, South American investors. There are Asian investors. Um, there are pipes that exist, right? So th this the scalability of this is also what's sort of being missed. People right. say it, but they don't really understand under the hood what that actually means. Yeah. We're, we're activating so much more than just the wealth market in the U.S., and so that's why I think maybe it's more, I don't know if it's $20 billion or $30 billion, but it's it's probably more than 14 Well, I'm excited. The ticker, our ticker, this ticker, I should say. I like Invesco's our ticker. Yeah. What, what is it? You tell us. <laughs> I like our ticker. It's uh, BTCO. It, it, yeah. it, it, BTC front and center. There's a lot of things you can play around with on the marketing side. Uh, we think a ticker matters. It doesn't matter as much as the product uh, right. you know, uh, details, but the, the ticker matters a lot. I'm sure you'll, you'll find a good way to use that in the wraps. Well, let me let you get back to it, Steve. It's a big day um, in you. the market and for Bitcoin and at Galaxy. Uh, congratulations. I know you've been, I mean, you're almost a day one Galaxy employee. <laughs> and um, this is like for, for anyone in crypto asset management, this has been the the Ahab's whale, like the, the holy grail that we could never find, but it's finally here. Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. Ready to go, man. Thanks All a lot. Right. Steve Kurtz, head of Galaxy Asset Management. Thanks for coming on Galaxy Brains. Thanks, man. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thank you to our guests, Eric Balchuna, Senior ETF Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and Steve Kurz, Head of Galaxy Asset Management. Of course, our friend Bimet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. Thank you, everyone, for joining. It is a new year. We are back. We are fired up. Everything will change, and we'll be here next week to cover it. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.